It's the Jason Garrett Revenge Bowl. Not that that matters, but he gets to go against, on the other side, the new coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who I heard online, I saw someone describe as a fatter Jason Garrett. <laughs> and uh... You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. Episode 539 of Unscripted. Mike and Chris here with you. Welcome. Hope all is well wherever you may be listening today. Um, And before we get started, a very happy Thanksgiving to all Canadians out there as it is Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada. So I want to wish everybody a very safe and happy Thanksgiving weekend. But remember, social distancing and wear your mask. A lot of things to talk about as we're trying to do some new program changes here on Unscripted, and uh, we're going to concentrate on a headlines in our first episode, a new feature in our second episode, and a new feature in our third episode. Trying to keep them a little leaner and meaner, a little tighter, so let's get right to what we're supposed to be talking about here on Unscripted, and we'll start with the headlines. And these are headlines that obviously have encompassed the last couple of days. Last night, we'll start with the Friday night action in the NBA. There will be a Game 6 in the NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Miami Heat as the Heat stave off elimination with a 111-108 victory in Game 5, which basically, to me, became a second-half duel between LeBron James and Jimmy Butler. It was really, really fun to watch. But I will, before I get Chris's comments on Game number 5 in the NBA Finals down in the bubble, I do not like what I'm hearing so far about the nonsense and the noise that people have been directing toward Danny Green of the L.A. Lakers for missing a wide-open three uh, almost at the horn last night. Here's my problem with it real quick. Danny Green did not play probably five minutes in the second half. The little white guy, Alex Caruso, has taken a lot of Danny Green's minutes. Uh, There seems to be a good fit there with Alex Caruso playing alongside LBJ and uh, Anthony Davis. And that has put Danny Green on the bench because Danny Green is pretty much one-dimensional. Danny Green doesn't play a lot of defense, and if he's not shooting the basketball, he doesn't bring much to you, the five guys on the floor. That's just my opinion. But to blame Game 5 loss on Danny Green not making a jump shot, that's unfair to Danny Green. It was a mano-a-mano battle between LBJ and Jimmy Butler in the second half yesterday. Anybody that saw the game last night saw that. It was unbelievably good theater, but at the final stages of the fourth quarter, LeBron drives the lane and kicks it back out to a wide-open Danny Green, who again played less than five minutes in the second half, had just come onto the floor, and it's very difficult. I don't care how good a three-point shooter you are. It's very difficult having sat on the bench pretty much the whole second half, at least 19 of the 24 minutes on the bench in the second half, and to come out and hit potentially a series-clinching and title-clinching shot for your team to win a championship. That's unfair to Danny Green, and it really shows the mentality of some people out there as to truly how stupid they are. Well, I think a lot of Laker fans are so desperate to get back on top of the basketball world that they are just having no patience for anything at all. And they're just expecting, hey, you're a shooter, you need to make a shot, and you need to make the shot now, and you need to win the game now, and we need to win now. 
And uh, I think they have to wait a little bit longer, maybe one more game or maybe two more games. Or maybe the Heat are going to come all the way back and, and ruin it for LeBron. But I think this is some entitlement from Laker fans. No offense to you there. No, but, you're absolutely uh, right. I'm, I'm the one that's pissed off at people that are, that are giving Danny Green shit this morning. That's wrong. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you couldn't ask Ray Allen who's the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest three-point shooter of all time, to come off the bench cold, sitting there for 19 out of 24 minutes, and hit a jump shot to win a title. That's bullshit, and in my opinion, LBJ should have taken the shot some way, shape, or form, because he was the Lakers' offense in the second half last night. Yeah, absolutely, and I think part of it was the announcer's fault, too, because the one announcer said... Uh, Danny Green spreads the floor and everyone's like what do you t-? like the common sense people are like what are you talking about well, like Danny Green if you like him he doesn't spread the floor and look at it this way the Miami Heat knew who was on the floor because if Danny Green had been out there for any time there probably would have been somebody checking Danny Green but Danny Green had just gotten to the game he was cold and instead of not wasting but putting a guy on Danny Green double team LeBron James and that's what they did and that's why LBJ ultimately thought he had to kick it out but to blame Danny Green for the Lakers not winning their 17th championship last night is bullshit and the people that are blaming him are just idiots yeah I'm cheering for Jimmy Butler now too I'm becoming a Jimmy Butler fan he played all but one minute last night and that was fantastic and great performance and uh, I, I'd kind of like to see the Heat come back and win, even though it might be a long shot at this point. But poor Danny Green. But uh, yeah, the, the announcers talked him up too much and the Lakers fans are too hard on him. Hey, listen, um, watch this too. This heel injury for Anthony Davis might be a factor. Um, he left the game twice last night, looked like he was dying twice and then made a miraculous recovery and came back. Um, I don't know what kind of drugs they're serving on the Laker bench, but it was uh, that could be potentially a problem. And if Jimmy Butler keeps playing like he's playing and the team rallies around him, this series isn't over, even though I believe for the Lakers to win this, they need to win Sunday night and finish this. They, you never want to go to a game seven, especially when you're up three games to one. Mm-hmm. Um, another high-profile professional sports team, the New York Yankees. Uh, maybe one of the most iconic brands in all the sports. People that don't even know the difference between a baseball bat and a baseball itself, a lot of people still have a Yankees hat. Um, I'm wearing it today because I'm having a bad hair day. Um, I feel for Whitey Ford, who died at thir- on Thursday at the age of 91. Congratulations to one of the best Yankees pitchers of all times. But how do the New York Yankees and their $351 million pitcher, Garrett Cole, lose to the budget-conscious Tampa Bay Rays on Friday night, eliminating the Bronx Bombers from the postseason. And I know that there's been some noise about the way Brett... No, it was not Brett Boone. It's Aaron Boone is the manager of the New York Yankees. The way he handled his team over this uh, five-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays, I just think it's incredulous that a team that's up here on the pay scale is losing to a team that's down here on the pay, pay scale. And if you can see my right arm, that's lower than pond scum uh, as to where the Tampa Bay Rays have the ability to play pay players. But give credit to Kevin Cash, a former catcher. Um, they, they do an unbelievable job. They have pitching and they play defense. That's what they do. They get timely hitting, and here they are going back to the American League Championship Series. They'll play the Houston Astros. I know everybody, including myself, Wanted to see Houston and New York again just because of that love between those two franchises. But give credit to the Tampa Bay Rays. And think about this for you Yankee fans, legitimate Yankee fans out there. It's been 11 years 
since the New York Yankees have won a World Series championship. That seems incredulous to me. But the other team that's still in the tournament, it's even more incredulous to me that the Los Angeles Dodgers have not won. And that's more my team than the New York Yankees. The Los Angeles Dodgers have not won a World Series title since 1988. That's a span of 32 years. So who says you all have to, you all have to be a big market team? If you can play baseball and you can throw the ball and catch the ball and get timely hitting, look at the Tampa Bay Rays. You can still win baseball games. Well, part of it is due to the fact that it's a shortened season and it would have been tough to maintain this over the long term. But on top of that, uh, I would have to say that this is the one good thing about a poorly run league that has no parity and no equality or equity or anything. And that is that sometimes you get the massive underdog who has no business beating the king of the mountain and they come out on top. And that's really nice to see. It still doesn't excuse the lack of fairness and the poor design and everything else, the uh, non-existent commissioner and all the other issues that Major League Baseball has and no shot clock and blah, blah, blah. But I would say that this is the one nice thing about it. If you're a Tampa Bay Rays fan, like this is like the Oilers beating the stars in the 90s in overtime of game seven when we're just the little underdog and it's it's an exciting thing to see i would hate if they ran out of gas and they and they just you know give the astros another world series title or something like that that would be that would be just horrible so if they're gonna do this then do it all the way and really keep it going this kind of reminds me of the world cup of soccer where even people who don't watch soccer uh, they'll often see, well, I don't either, but they'll often see like in the, when the World Cup happens, you'll start hearing about some little country no one's ever heard of or barely thinks about, like Senegal or Azerbaijan. Ice- yeah, or Iceland or whatever. Like, you know, I'm a quarter Icelandic, so I know Iceland, but, uh, you know, they had a good run a couple cups ago and then Senegal one time and you'll get these little, this some little team and they make a run and it's a great story. And that's kind of what the Rays are doing here, but they, they better see it through if they're going to be the... Uh, the uh, the AL representative, that's for sure, because uh, we don't need the Astros getting another world. It's been bad enough that the Astros haven't had to face the music with fans in opposing ballparks um, or any other sort of penalty from the commissioner of any degree other than having to make sad faces. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Astros, everyone can't stand them. And for them to see a, see another World Series would be a joke. The Astros came into this postseason as only one of two teams had made the playoffs with a losing record. The Astros and the Milwaukee Brewers both came into this, again, this different postseason with 29 up and 31 down records. Wouldn't that be ironic if the Houston Astros, who lost Verlander earlier this year to Tommy John surgery, and all the other stuff that they brought upon themselves, I don't feel sorry for them. I want Tampa Bay to kick their ass. I don't think that the Houston Astros should be able to participate in the playoffs. But here they are, and they're the most offensively gifted team so far in these different kind of postseason. They've gotten decent starting pitching. Their bullpen has been fair to Midland, but they really have been hitting the ball well. They've been defending very well. And wouldn't it be something if the Houston Astros pull this off? And then what can we complain about? Um, I just don't want it to happen. We should all become the biggest Tampa Bay Ray fans we can. Um, switching gears as we welcome you to this 539th episode of Unscripted, uh, the Unscripted Headlines edition. We're doing this on Saturdays. Monday is something a little different that we'll introduce uh, later on as Chris and I get together and, and uh, record these episodes. And then we we're shooting to have an episode out late Saturday, Monday, and then Wednesday. And uh, each day we'll have a specific theme and... Uh, Looking forward to taping the uh, 
Monday and Wednesday's episodes, but here on the Saturday episode, unscripted headlines, obviously a lot going on in the National Hockey League. They have started their free agent frenzy period, and I guess it really started with the draft last week. And I do agree, as much as I don't like Brian Burke, I do agree with how in the hell the New York Rangers jumped 11 teams to get the first overall pick in the NHL draft last week. But I'm not here to debate that right now. I want to talk about what's been going on with the NHL free agent frenzy period. Who are some of the teams that have been big winners? Um, From what I've seen so far, we're one day in, and there have been some signings today. I know that. But uh, through Friday's action, some teams that seem to have improved themselves via free agency so far seem to be Chris's Edmonton Oilers. The uh, St. Louis Blues seem to have done some interesting things there. I mean, how would you like to be Alex Pietrangelo in St. Louis? And you see that the team that you spent, I think he spent his whole career in St. Louis, has he not? Jeez, I think so. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But then all of a sudden, he's still sitting on the sidelines. And again, Brian Burke thought this was the one guy that would break somebody's bank. And he's still out there as we're recording here on Saturday afternoon. Guys like Taylor Hall, Alex Pietrangelo are still available for a team that wants to spend some big money. Oliver ekman Larson, his agent says his client is staying in Arizona. He supposedly said he'd only go to two teams, one being Vancouver and the other Boston. So obviously they couldn't work out a deal with either of those two teams. But how would you like to be again, Alex Pietrangelo, when you see the Blues sign Tory Krug to a seven-year contract with an average annual value of 6.5 million hmm couldn't have put that 6.5 million toward alex peter angelo huh uh armstrong doug armstrong i believe is the name of the general manager in st louis obviously this is your subtle way of saying mr peter angelo we've appreciated your time but it's now time for you to move on yeah it's not a very good sign for him and i don't know i i could see him only wanting to go to a contender when you play for a good, solid franchise that does well and just is run really, really well. Even though it's a small market team, it's sort of like uh, the St. Louis Cardinals in a way, like yeah. you know, where they're a really solid franchise. I mean, the Blues until you know they're Arizona Cardinals now. Oh, you're talking about the baseball, the team. baseball team. Oh yeah, I forgot about them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like they're a small market, but they're like what a great franchise. Lots of championships, known yeah. as a well-run franchise. That's right. Uh, and nine the, World Series championships. Yeah, and the Blues never won until recently, but they did make the playoffs like 30 years in a row. So I mean, they've always been kind of solid. And when you're used to that, uh, I think it's tough to go to. Uh, a franchise that you think isn't well run, like you think about someone like Le'Veon Bell and he plays for Pittsburgh and takes it for granted and then he goes somewhere with a terrible coach and a terrible offense and a terrible franchise and a terrible owner (laughs) where he had the opposite, he had all the best of all of that stuff before and look, his career, he's just a nobody now. When he went for hurt. a payday. He went for a payday. And he didn't even, but he didn't even get it. Yeah, he, I know. He, he held out for a year. But the Steelers and, weren't going to give it to him either. No, but holy man, did he ever, he should have just done whatever it took, but he took it for granted. But if, if Alex Pietrangelo knows what Le'Veon Bell has had to learn the hard way, if he knows how important it is to play for a good franchise and, and stay with their, uh, it as much as possible, he will only want to go to a franchise like that, which will really right. limit his options. That's clearly what uh, Oliver ekman Larson was doing. Like, And I don't know how he would pick Vancouver there. Uh, I don't have a clue. Boston, I get. But Vancouver, I have no idea. But Jim Benning did make 
uh, a final offer and like put out the best offer. Oh, he did. He's, yeah, he was like, "Here's the best offer we're willing to give you, and uh, take it or leave it." And they left. Left it, it. <laughs> and, and that was it. So I mean, I was talking to our Pacific Northwest bureau chief and senior NHL correspondent Sean Dode, and of course he's based out of Vancouver, and he said that uh, he just thinks Ekman Larson is one of the most overrated guys, mm-hmm. not to mention overpaid with a horrible contract as well. And uh, for him to uh, go to Vancouver would have made Sean very um, unhappy. So uh, he's he's pretty happy about that right now. He's not that happy that they signed Braden Holtby, who has been a great goaltender, but you know seems to be overpaid. A lot of these guys are being overpaid. Uh, these goaltenders, in the case of Matt Murray in Ottawa, I think it's because they just wanted to get to the cap floor because Melnick runs such a crappy ship there. Oh, we just need the cap floor, so we'll overpay Matt Murray. But then that screws the other GMs who now have to overpay their guys who are not trying to get to the cap floor. They're trying to stay under the cap. And so then all these guys are getting inflated deals and it's ruining everything. And even the local losers here, Markstrom, great goalie, maybe an albatross of a contract. So uh, we're going to see a lot more teams having having goaltenders really hamstring them from uh, building overall contenders, much like high-paid quarterbacks are hurting teams in the NFL. You've got Edmonton who has, uh, again, according to so-called experts have improved themselves. They've made a couple of economically feasible signings. Tyler Ennis, Kyle Turris have both signed on the dotted line for, uh, you know, respectable numbers. Look at it this way, folks. This is what I think coronavirus has played a part in the free agent frenzy. And it's not only in the National Hockey League. We're still going to get a free agent frenzy as soon as the NBA season is over. Every day is a free agent frenzy in the National fucking Football League, folks. But think at, look at it this way. Day one last year, pre-coronavirus, day one last year of the National Hockey League's free agent frenzy, there were over $700 million worth of contracts extended out to players on day one, just the first day last year. They're not going to come close to $700 million in contract extensions or contracts extended to players after day one this year because of coronavirus. There are so many things in the unknown. Are we going to have games played in people's, in, in teams' home stadiums next year in arenas? Um, yes, we obviously have the television revenue still coming in for the National Football League, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball. But remember, Baseball supposedly is losing $640,000 a game that aren't attended or are played without fans in attendance. So again, how long is this going to last? And obviously this has affected teams' bottom lines. When you're sitting here and thinking about the contract that the goalies just signed with the local losers, Markstrom, six years, $36 million for the guy that's 31 years old. If he plays out his whole contract, they're going to run into the same kind of problem that the Las Vegas Knights or Golden Knights or whatever the hell they are, are running into with trying to get rid of their current goaltender, uh, Fleury. They want to play, but they have no cap space because they owe Fleury $7 million next year. But who's going to pick up a 37-year-old goalie at $7 million per? That's going to be tough for somebody to do, and it's going to be even tougher for the Golden Knights to get rid of them. So... And especially when you sign Robin Leonard to an extension, five years, $25 million. So coronavirus is playing a factor in this. But we talked about St. Louis real quickly. The Toronto Maple Leafs supposedly, according to these experts, again, have improved. But then I question that with the signing of one player. Here's a guy that couldn't... 
Now, in fairness, TJ Brody last year in Calgary had some real physical ailments that obviously derailed his season a little bit. But how can the youngster, the prebupescent Kyle Dubas out in Toronto, give TJ Brody $20 million over four years? Um, will, with his health history now, will TJ Brody see the end of that contract? I don't know. Um, what else have the Maple Leafs done this year to improve themselves? This is a team that hasn't won a Stanley Cup since 67, folks. It's been very well documented, and everybody in this great country outside of the greater Toronto area laugh at that every goddamn day that it's been since 1967 for the Toronto Maple Leafs. What have they done? They re-signed, uh, well, they re-signed that guy that was originally a Toronto, or excuse me, an Ottawa senator years ago. Um, what the hell was his name? Spent some time in Dallas. Jason Spitz. Thank you. Signed him to, for one year. Resigned him for one year at a veteran's minimum of seven hundred thousand. You bring in T.J. Brody. Um, what else have the Maple Leafs done? Some of these experts are just not experts. I mean, they must be writing their own material. The Calgary Flames. I can't wait for Chris to tee off on this one, but I will say this: I read, I read a writer, read a writer's notes this morning. I can't remember the guy's name. It's not that important. Because this guy believes that Pizza Boy, uh, Brad Tree Living, current sitting general manager of the Calgary Flames, won day one of the free agent frenzy because he signs Markstrom and defenseman Chris Tanev late of the Vancouver Canucks. Well, anybody that's had to watch, like I have, more than three shifts of Flames hockey knows that they need help on the back end. They definitely needed help in the goal. The two schmucks they had there last year couldn't stop a cold. And then ultimately, until they trade Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan, they aren't going to be any better offensively anyway. So how can these experts claim that the Calgary Flames won day one? Well, I think Pizza Boy was the splashiest. That doesn't automatically mean that you win the trade deadline or whatever's going on here. I mean, it's just they make the most noise and these uh, these writers see jingling keys and get all excited and then that's what they see. And so... Look, Markstrom is, you know, we I asked Sean about that too, and he said, like, Markstrom's money. I didn't like Markstrom at the start of his career. I thought he sucked. And then he got good, so maybe he's the real deal. Maybe he's just had a good run. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm not that thrilled to see Calgary get him. But at the same time, the contract was high. But apparently, the Oilers offered him even an even bigger contract. And he oh, turned really? it down. Yeah, I heard. I'd heard that the Oilers were interested. I didn't know that they officially offered him a contract. Yeah, I heard that they offered him seven years, which is the max for a team. Well, then right there, Markstrom's an idiot because why wouldn't you go with a team that has two potential on the same line, two potential MVPs every year that they play, and obviously the the uh, current sitting MVP in Drysaddle? Why wouldn't you go somewhere? that has some offensive fireworks and has a chance to do something. Like, I know we get Chinooks here, and so the weather's slightly better in Calgary than Edmonton, but, I mean, other than that, I mean, geez, I mean, the best facilities, the best arena, the best player, the best two players in the world, maybe, on there, and it just, I don't know. I mean, I get, like, you want to live in a hot-weather city and nice climate, and you want to live in... You don't live in Calgary, Well, yeah, yeah, you you go to Arizona or Vegas or Florida (laughs) or something. You don't, oh, well, Edmonton's no good, but Calgary, like, awesome. Like, no, come on. So I don't know what he's thinking here. That seems really silly to me uh, that there's a difference there, and so I don't know. I'm just, I'm I'm disappointed in Markstrom, but now I have to cheer against him. But again, I, when, when he was starting out, I guess he's improved a lot, but I thought he really sucked. 
And so I'm hoping that I was right about that and he still sucks and he's just had a good run and gotten lucky and now he'll get exposed. That would just make my day. I am happy to say this for Winnipeg Jets fans that they reacquired Stasny again. But how would you like to be Stasny and leave Las Vegas and go to Winnipeg for the winter? Yeah. Oh, my God. That sucks. I hope he knows about carb... uh, What is it? Those... uh, car you you can put them in your engine and it heats your car and and oh, oh like oh, i don't know my dad would always put like a jacket or like yeah. call a jacket you put it around your yeah. battery to keep it warm yeah i'm happy for jets fans but very sad for stasny for having to go from <laughs> las vegas in the winter to winnipeg manitoba um as we quickly mention here real quick and you uh, we had talked about the um, oilers assigning a couple guys the oilers signed a guy today you tell me yeah, they. Uh, it's interesting. They have been trying to sign this guy for, it feels like, my whole life. Like, they have been signed. I don't know how many years this goes back, but forever I've been hearing about, oh, Oilers interested in Tyson Berry. Oilers interested in Tyson Berry. Like, it's, boy, it's been many, many years. And he was in Colorado, and they wanted him as a defenseman. And now he was in Toronto, and he had a bad year in Toronto. So we signed him to, I believe, one year, $3.75 million. So I like that it's one year. I like that we're buying low. I'm not convinced he's going to be anything good. He's supposed to be good on the power play. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But I have to be honest. I'm not impressed with any of this stuff. Ennis at one year, one million is fine. I mean, it's a really low contract and it's short term. I can live with it. He's okay. He could probably show a little more. Kyle Turris is is old and I don't know if he can skate anymore. And two years, 3.3. I mean, I, I, I... I feel like what was going on there is Dave Tippett might have been like, hey, I had him in Arizona. Mm -hmm. He was great and bring him back and all that shit. And it's like, I mean, it's the same as Dubas uh, paying TJ Brody. I think a lot of this is just paying guys on past production. Now, at least they're not paying him anywhere near what TJ Brody's getting. But I think it's I think we're living in the past here a little bit. I don't I don't know that Ennis and Turris are exciting. Like, for example, when I play fantasy football and i'm all about like the hot young guys that are that are you know not going to be injured and they don't have a bunch of baggage and they're like early 20s and all that and then these other guys i see are drafting aj green and yesterday's news and all this and it's the same thing with how gms are doing things in the nhl there's so much just living in the past and paying people on past production it's hard to get excited about any of this. I have a hard time believing that any of these three moves are going to make much of a difference at all. Maybe Tyson Berry, if he just had trouble in Toronto because the Leafs are so horrible. But I, other than that, I don't know. I haven't been that happy yet. Apparently, Ken Holland expects to sign a goalie as early as today. Um, but we haven't heard anything yet. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in the, in the Oilers. I thought they could have made a little bit bigger of a splash. And uh, I mean... One or two good pieces. Like you get a really elite defenseman and a really top-notch goalie, we could be talking here. Like any team with Connor and Leon should be a lot more dangerous than they've been lately. And uh, yeah, I, they could have done better, I think, so far. Week five of the National Football League season is where we're quickly going next, and we will do our three locks of the week. But I want to start this little part uh, in regard to the National Football League, in regard to my favorite quarterback, and uh, yes. He is in the MVP conversation already, folks. And I understand and certainly uh, know why these guys, when you're talking about Patrick Mahomes and you're talking about, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. But the way Aaron Rodgers has started this season, um, you've got to put him in the conversation. 
Um, I don't really, you know, I'm a Packer fan, unabashed Packer fan, but the way he has played and he's played without, without, you know, without an improvement to the uh, receiver core in Green Bay last year. And then he's played the last two games without Devontae Adams. And he's still, they're throwing up 38 points a game. Uh, Tuesday morning, Aaron Rodgers made an appearance on the Pat McAfee podcast, which is co-hosted by his former teammate, AJ Hawk middle linebacker at one time in Green Bay. But he made an appearance on the Pat McAfee show, and the question was asked about the disrespect and going back to last year as to Rodgers wasn't comfortable in year one in Lafleur's offense, and he goes back to last year where the numbers were down. And I think Aaron Rodgers' response uh, is worthy of making an appearance on unscripted and so i'm taking this from the pat mcafee show so we don't have copyright infringement things but this is what aaron Rodgers said in regard to last year and the start of this year on tuesday's pat mcafee show okay. i mean i don't know every every team is different every year is different and you know circumstances in in any year which allow you to have more success or, or make it more difficult for success it just kind of depends on the situation um, it does help being the second year for sure. I feel a lot more comfortable, but you know, I, I, I sometimes laugh when people talk about, you know, down years for me, cause a lot of times down years for me are career years for most quarterbacks. I couldn't agree with that more. Now, yes, Aaron Rodgers didn't have MVP numbers last year. He did not have a plethora of wide receivers. Go back to when he won the MVP in 2011, and he was throwing to Jermichael Finley, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Greg Jennings, and those were just his tight ends and receivers. So there's no reason, you know, there was obviously a big reason why he was the MVP in 2011 when he had wide receivers like that to throw to. But you're throwing to guys named Alan Lazard and Darius Shepard, who played at North Dakota State and Jace Sternberger from Texas A&M. And last week, it was an undrafted guy by the name of Robert Tanyan, who has three touchdowns in the Packers' 30-16 to win over the Atlanta Falcons. So I know we're, on a, we're trying to tighten things up around here. I get that. But I just had to say to the naysayers that don't believe that Aaron Rodgers is happy in Green Bay, they don't believe that he is MVP-worthy, they don't believe that he is the guy that take the Packers to the next level. You know what I'm going to say, so I won't even bother. But just watch the rest of the year. Without Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are no better than anybody else in the NFC North Division. And I'm very proud that Aaron Rodgers had the cojones to say that on the Pat McAfee Show on Tuesday. Congratulations to him. Um, you want to go first or should I with the three picks of the week? Uh, go ahead if you got yours. I I've got yeah, mine. Go for uh, it. Real quickly, this is week five in the NFL. Uh, week five this week goes from Thursday to Tuesday because uh, we've got a Tuesday matchup now between Buffalo and Tennessee. And the two games that were rescheduled, they have no line on them. I couldn't find a line this morning on the Tuesday game between Buffalo and Tennessee. Again, to be played Tuesday night in Nashville, Tennessee. Or the rescheduled game from Sunday to Monday Denver at New England in the Boston area. No line on that one. I've got lines for those. Oh, good. I couldn't find yeah, them. So uh, I'm so not picking those two, so I don't care. Real quick, uh, Buffalo is just favored by one point on the road at Tennessee. 
And um, most places have the Denver New England game off the board, but the Westgate Superbook, the biggest book in the world, has it on there, and they have somehow uh, New England minus ten. New England minus ten. Mm. If if it's Jarrett Stidham or uh, or, Hoyer. or Brian yeah. Hoyer, yeah. Uh, I'm sprinting to the Westgate right, right now yeah. uh, to bet on Denver. But uh, apparently, there's there's some chance of some Cam New- Newton news breaking right away. So, oh, okay. so who knows? But yeah. Well, real quick, um, I've got three locks of the week. These can be against the spread, straight up, or whatever you feel like. I'm we're really not. Uh, really too rules worthy or worried around here but uh, the battle of pennsylvania philadelphia visits pittsburgh the steelers come in as seven point favorites i'm taking the steelers straight up and against the spread philadelphia played a very banged up san francisco team last week and pittsburgh i think is ready to go after having a informal bye week last week uh i think pittsburgh was playing very well obviously the first three weeks of the season and then they got railroaded by the Tennessee outbreak of the coronavirus. So they had an unexpected bye week last week to heal up. I think Pittsburgh wins that one quite easily. Here's a funny one that Chris might laugh at, but I think the Houston uh, Texans improved very much themselves by making one move, and that's getting rid of butt chin. And Houston comes in as five-and-a-half-point favorites uh, on their home on their home field on Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm taking the Romeo Cornell, Houston uh, Texans to cover that and win that uh, straight up and against the spread and everything else. And then this one is really going to probably make Chris laugh. But Dallas and the New York Giants, the Giants come to Big D. Dallas is uh, eight and a half point favorites. And you know what, folks? I'm taking the New York football Giants to get under that, stay within the spread. Um, I'm not blaming Mike McCarthy, but there are a lot of problems on the defensive side of the ball for the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Garrett comes back to Dallas as the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants. New York Giants doesn't have the talent on paper that the Dallas Cowboys do, but you know what? Right now, the Dallas, excuse me, the New York Giants are coached better than the Dallas Cowboys, and I think New York can stay within eight and a hook. Yeah, most of mine are the same. The only one that I had different from you was Houston, uh, which I do like with Cornell. Uh, it and by the way, it feels really wrong for us to uh, not have a, a five-part series on Butchin being fired. So I hope we'll get to like a little more discussion on him later in the week uh, because we that's been years and years in the making, and we've been looking forward to that for a long time. Hundred uh, percent agree with you on Pittsburgh both ways. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles are terrible and extremely injured. Well, Philly, or, well, uh, Pittsburgh comes off a bye. Uh, not to mention Philly's coming off. An unexpected big emotional upset victory on the other side of the country, and now they come, like I mean, uh, they're yeah, the Pittsburgh's going to destroy them. Uh, I agree. I I had the Giants too. I agree. They haven't scored a touchdown the last two games. I don't care. Anyone can anyone can score a touchdown on the terrible Dallas Cowboys defense, and now they lost Tyron Smith, their left tackle for the year, and they already lost their right tackle, uh, Leal Collins for the year, and they lost their center Travis Frederick to retirement. And last year they had, or the last year or the year before, whenever they lost Ronald Leary as their guard, like basically that whole O line that's so awesome is gone. Uh, they're in trouble. And the Giants hate them already. That's probably their maybe their most hated rival. And it's the Jason Garrett Revenge Bowl. Not that that matters, but he gets to go against, on the other side, the n- new coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who I heard online, I saw someone describe as a fatter Jason Garrett. <laughs> and uh, I love that description. But anyway, uh, my other lock uh, is against the spread, and it is the Miami Dolphins to cover eight and a half 
Uh, or actually, no, it's down to eight right now. Sorry. I got it at eight. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, the Miami Dolphins cover plus eight at the San Francisco 49ers, who are banged up and have terrible quarterbacking. I don't care if it's CJ Beathard or Nick Mullins, who I really like as a guy, but he really sucked. And if you look at Miami, they're extremely underrated right now because their one win was a blowout and their three losses were all to excellent teams. So nobody is paying attention to how uh, Miami's good. I said Miami would be good this year with Brian Flores coaching them, and I like them so far. They've had a really tough schedule. I expect them to go in there and probably win outright, but at the very least, they can cover eight points for sure. So those are my locks. We've got a run on this 539th episode of Unscripted, what we're calling our Saturday Headlines edition. We uh, hope you enjoy our, our, I guess, reboot of our reboot of... My lips just aren't working. What you, is you, it? Well, you tried to say reboot and rebranding at the same time. Yeah, there we go. The rebranding of Unscripted. We hope you enjoy it. It's going to become a staple, and uh, it's something that I think that uh, we can wrap our heads around and, and uh, you know, just be... We're showing our flexibility. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. Having said all that, we've got to run. Uh, For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.